You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is September 9th. I've got a really good show for you this week. Alright, so in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to bring you the essay, Might is Not Always Right. And this can be found in The Fire from Within, uh, newly published, or newly re-released by Nemo, Magister Nemo. So, great essay, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but you should really go pick up this uh, re-release of this book. It's a collection of essays that appeared in um, The Cloven Hoof. You will not be disappointed. Some really great insight and wisdom contained within. In the Infernal Formant, I've got two articles for you. Feds warn of zombie apocalypse. Buy emergency kit. But you might be a terrorist if... In the second article... The Party Crasher, finding where politicians' special interests meet. And the creature feature, I've got an interview with Dorian Gray from Thorn Fetish. We're going to be talking about his new album, Evolution, and this is the last week that you can get it at a special discounted price. We're going to talk about that, and I'm going to preview one of the tracks for you. So stick around for the end of the show in the creature feature segment. You're going to love it. All right, but before I start, I want to talk to you once again, and I'm going to be doing this every week. Until I get all of you to get off your tukuses and send me your questions. Greater Magic episode. This is the second one. It's going to be at the end of October. It's going to be released as close to Halloween without passing Halloween as possible. So you don't want to miss this episode. But more to it, you can actually be a part of the episode. Send me your questions about Greater Magic. And I'm going to be having two very powerful satanic witches... Send me your questions for them about greater magic, what it means to be a greater magic practitioner and a woman, uh, what does or or how did the satanic witch inspire you, you know, stuff like that. So let me know your hard-hitting questions, and I mean, there's going to be two sections, theory and practice. So if you have a question that fits into either of those realms, and really that kind of covers everything about (laughs) greater magic... Uh, send your questions to me. Send them to info at 9centspodcast.com. And I'm going to leak out just a little taste, a little, little little flavor. Hold on. Waft with me of this new project that I'm going to be doing. Uh, it has a little something to do with Satanists. Uh, shock. It has a little something to do with uh, cinema. And it hasn't been done quite like this before. Now, I've got a lot of amazing people that I'm collecting to be a part of this, and I cannot wait to bring it to you. We are still a couple weeks out before it can be fully released, but just know that something is brewing. Something very fantastic is brewing in the Nine Cents world. I cannot wait to share it with you. But if you're clever, you can figure it out. And my dog... Minnie, my dog is back. Okay, so about a week and a couple days ago, we had this really bad storm 
thunder and lightning, and we keep our dog in the backyard while it's summer at night. It's a lot cooler than it is in the house, believe it or not, and uh, it's just open, so if she has to pee or, you know, drop a deuce or something, she's right there. It's not a big deal. Uh, I prefer it out there than in the house. And I don't really want to kennel her in the house because it's a little stuffy and hot, and, you know, it's just not as open and, and exciting. Well, unfortunately, what I didn't realize was that there was this thunder and lightning storm happening in the middle of the night. When I went to sleep, nothing was happening. So my wife woke up in the middle of the night with my uh, dog, Minnie, just y- yimp- I don't know, yiping, y- whimpering, yimpering, <laughs> really loud, and uh, she went out back and she was no longer in the backyard. Now, I this is like the third time she's escaped. So I'm already kind of in the mindset of, okay, well, you know what, someone will give us a call in another day and we'll find her tomorrow. My wife went around driving in the middle of the night through this thunder and lightning storm and didn't see her at all. So I I wasn't really that worried because it was the third time and the dog is pretty resilient and someone always finds her and brings her back. Not this time. No, 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 no. Someone actually took her collar off, which had all of our contact information and the dog's name, put a new collar on her and kept her for a week. And so we've been slowly becoming more panicked. We have posters that we tacked to um, power lines and light posts. And, I mean, we've been looking at the shelters during the week, um, calling them and driving by and looking online at various lost dog uh, forums and websites. Can't find this dog anywhere. We drive around to and f- uh, going to work and coming back home from work a little extra around the neighborhood just to see if we can see her or anything. Nothing. We couldn't find her. We were freaking out. So yeah, the uh, the local shelter gave us a call and said that someone brought her in for a checkup or something. They scanned her, realized that she was known missing and that our information was in the chip, not this person's. So they called my wife my wife immediately dashed down there, and the people had vanished because there's a $1,000 fine if you are caught with someone else's dog in Utah, which is awesome. Um, and I'm really glad we had that chip in there. So she went and picked her up and brought her back home, and Minnie is with us again. Yay! Woo! And she is... I don't know. It was weird. Um, I always kind of wonder, is that other family better than ours? <laughs> Does she even want to be back with us? Were we horrible and that's why she didn't come back immediately? I mean, she was terrified of that thunder and lightning, so that would have driven her for quite some time. But we picked her up from a uh, shelter because she was abused and thrown away. No one wanted her. Or they beat her and she was taken away, one of the two. So when we took her in, I mean, she was terrified of everything. And still, even to this day, you can't really be too fast or loud with her because she'll freak out and pee and she just sort of cowers down on the ground. It's really kind of sad. Um, And so that lightning just would have pushed her over the edge. So, you know, we're not surprised she left. We were disappointed. And then when she didn't come back, devastated. But now it's all better. She's back. We got her a new collar and... Uh, actually trying to get a little tag for the collar is a bit of the pain in the ass. I, I don't know why, but it, it really was. A lot of places won't do it unless you get a new rabies shot or something like that, and she's not due, so there's no reason to get it yet. So we just sort of have this, you know, a lost return tag on her right now. But um, it is there's there's this sort of panic 
that, that enters you when you lose a member of your family. No matter how close you are, you know that they relied on you for safety and comfort um, and, and <laughs> food, uh, shelter, and then when they're gone, you just sort of, you're, you're never really comfortable. I didn't talk about it because I didn't, I don't know, I, I was moody as hell at work all last week. My coworkers were really frustrated with me, and I didn't really know how to talk about it because I, I was hoping she would come back, and, you know, it, it was just, it was uncomfortable. But still, you know, I wasn't, like, depressed about it. I just, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it because I was, I'm one of those people that, though I know there's no rational side to the belief, if you talk about something bad, the chances of it happening in some way cosmically exponentially increase, which is an absurd notion, and I don't I don't truly, like to my core, think that way, but it was enough that I didn't want what-ifs in the way of me getting my dog back, <laughs> so yeah, so I've been posting a bunch of stupid pictures all over the internets uh, there's more than one, the internets, plural <laughs> so, you know if you're connected with me in some social network Sorry, you're going to be inundated with dog pics for quite some time as as we sort of embrace her back into the family. But good news, she's back. Uh, also, hey, Old Nick Magazine. Go to oldnickmagazine.com. Old Nick Magazine is a gentleman's adult magazine. They give you the hint, the allure of the woman. They don't just bleh, show it to you all at once like, oh, this is a woman. No, no, no. It's a uh, little... Uh, hips in the way of uh, the nether regions, a uh, nice shaped thigh, uh, a well-formed breast. These are the things that you're going to find with Old Nick Magazine. If you want more than that, well, you know, I mean, it's not really for me, but if you do want more than that, they do have that available on their website as well. And actually, I think they might even have a XXX version of their issues now available. So, you can always get those. But if you're like me and you just like that allure because you adore the female form and uh, you just love women, well, Old Nick Magazine is for you. And even if you're not into women per se, there's always something to be found within the covers of Old Nick Magazine, whether it's editorial or review or fiction. There's always something exciting or even uh, uh, interviews they have in there. So pick up your the newest hot-as-hell summer issue. The fall issue should be coming out here shortly, so keep your eyes peeled for that one. OldNickMagazine.com All right, let's go ahead and jive. Jive. Let's jive our way into the devil's advocate. Say why bother? How you done, great? Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. 
That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what was that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Open up your copy of The Fire From Within by Magister Nemo. And it's a collection, as I've said it already, of essays found in the Cloven Hoof, um, the Church of Satan's newsletter, sort of headed up by uh, Magister Templi Rex Blanche Barton. Um, Might is not always right is the title of the essay that I want to talk about earlier. And, and yeah, I did notice that my sound was completely messed up, so I apologize for that. I have since remedied the situation. It was just turned up too high, and I had to mess around and adjust it. All right, so I'm going to read the first paragraph-ish, sort of set this up, and then we'll talk about the, the meat and potatoes, as it were. Warning. The contents of this article may be hazardous to your emotions without first switching on your mind and using reason. Please read carefully. Our attackers and detractors commonly find that they cannot, or will not, distinguish between an opinion and a fact. They want to portray all Satanists as bloodthirsty, rabid killers whose only desire is to rape, torture, and destroy. That's okay, as long as at least we understand the truth. That's the beginning, and what I love about this essay, and, and why I'm speaking to it today, is because it addresses something that maybe not a lot of people think about when they read the, the phrase, might is right, or when they attach that notion to their worldview. It doesn't always mean physicality. Right itself is an abstract idea that, well, let's go through it the way Nemo went through it in the essay. So there's the historical right, uh, actions based on victors. I mean, it's, it's, it's called history because those surviving <laughs> wrote it. This is something that I was introduced to in elementary school, and I, I find it funny that some people still think it's an, a weird way to look at the word, his story. Um, but when I was watching Braveheart for the first time, uh, the little monologue at the very beginning is that history is written by the victors. Well, quite literally, that's what might is right means. Uh, you are correct with your historical perspective because you're the only one left standing to say so. There's no one to deny you. And, let's uh, say in theory, you won. You won because you are alive. So you are right in that given situation. Now, whether you're ethically or right, yeah, that depends on the individual and their own individual emotional take on it. But historically, you are right. Uh, he, he goes into detail, Magister Nemo, about that idea, which is really fantastic, so you should definitely read it for that alone. But then there's also an emotional component, and this is the one that Satanists should be focusing a little more on. Because right, the idea of what is right, is wrapped up in your own perceptions of reality, how can one determine what is right? Some people do it through religious doctrine. But what about us Satanists? We don't look to 
outside sources for justification um, for what is right and wrong or good or evil. I mean, to a Satanist, good is what you like and bad is what you don't like. And in that context, you have to approach right and wrong. Because aren't they really just another side of good and bad or good and evil? Might is right is fine. But we also have to realize that my individual emotional reaction to the world is just as right and just as valid. And when I say my, I mean individually ours. And uh, keep in mind that I'm not speaking for all Satanists because, as I've said, I don't know, maybe 125 times now, Satanism is a big tent with a lot of different, vastly different types of people underneath it. That's why it's so amazing. And this is just my interpretation of Magister Nemo's essay and my take uh, of, of what right is. So when something is right to me, it's something I'm happy about. It's, it's an end that I helped create, maybe through lesser magic, maybe through greater magic, or maybe just through the sweat of my brow. Though, <laughs> because I'm a graphic designer, there's not a lot of sweat of my brow, to be quite honest. I live a pretty sedentary life, unless I'm, like, you know, climbing a mountain or something. So, my actions influencing the world are not always physical. But I still end up with being right. And, uh, actually, Lesser Magic is a fantastic tool to prove that uh, might is right if you take uh, the idea of will and using it in place of might. So, influencing others. And, and maybe that's through the might of someone else, or maybe it's through yourself, but it is your will be done. That is right. And we have to realize a little bit of perspective is sort of essential in our world. When I was in basic training, and I, I might have mentioned this one or a hundred times as well, but bear with me, a drill instructor... Actually, it wasn't. It was AIT, which is like advanced individual training, right after basic training, before you go to your first duty station. Uh, she said that per, uh, reality. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Perception is nine tenths of reality, and so it's the idea that the way you perceive the world equals reality, and it's not. <laughs> it's not the same for everyone. One size does not fit all, and we all know this because there are uh, uh, Christians in those shared reality we all inhabit, and there are Muslims, and there are Buddhists, and our versions of reality are drastically different. Um, we use uh, a little more science, I would like to think, a little more rational thought in our perspectives, but even our own perspectives differ. But it is up to us to define that reality. And it is through our mere carnal existence our going through and really celebrating what life is that forces us to care about the decisions we make and what we influence in our world and that is what creates right for us so yes sometimes in our own lives and in history might is right as Nemo points out brilliantly in this essay but sometimes sometimes it is the Satanist his obsession and passion with the carnal side of existence. Life that makes right. And our influence in it. So, uh, yeah, 
pick up the Fire From Within, recently released by Magister Nemo, and you will not you will not regret it. It is filled with a bunch of uh, fantastic content. And that's going to do it for the uh, Devil's Advocate. So let's go ahead and jump on over to the Infernal Informant. Listen up! Listen up! Hey, Good news! There's no devil! Bad news! Else, no heaven! Nothing to see! I'm your Infernal Informant! I saw this article and I could not pass it up. Feds warn of zombie apocalypse by emergency kit but you might be a terrorist if this is actually an article in networkworld.com Homeland Security warned the zombies are coming FEMA says get your emergency preparedness kit ready but the LAPD adopted 15 of the Department of Justice's ridiculous lists regarding potential indicators of terrorist activities the question morphs from how will we survive the zombie apocalypse to how Will we prepare an emergency kit without such suspicious behaviors and buying activities flagging us as potential domestic terrorists? This is by Mrs. Smith, uh, posted today. How do you kill a zombie? No, not a zombie process killed via command line, but the brain-eating kind. Boom! Headshot, right? Well, I'll get back to that, because the Department of Homeland Security announced the zombies are coming. As if warning a zombie apocalypse is imminent, FEMA hosted a webinar for its citizen corps encouraging emergency planners to use the threat of zombies, the flesh-hungry walking dead, to encourage citizens to prepare for disasters. It's cute, funny, and, with Halloween approaching, possibly a viral approach to disaster preparedness, like the CDC's brilliant zombie apocalypse theme. The CDC's campaign was so successful that it crashed the agency's servers. However, after real cannibalism, like a man eating a homeless, I even brought you this article, homeless man's face, as well as a human heart and brain eating happened this summer, the panic also forced the CDC to admit that zombies don't really exist. Shocker. I love that they had to tell people, no, 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 this is just, this is, the, this is a campaign, this is how we're getting you to... Eh, fucking people are dumb. <laughs> the CDC told the Huffington Post, CDC does not know of a virus or condition that would reanimate the dead. <laughs> or one that would present zombie-like symptoms. Zombie-like symptoms. The CDC advises the bare minimum for an emergency kit should include water, one gallon per person per day, food, stock up on non-perishable items that you eat regularly, medications, this includes prescriptions and non-prescription meds, tools and supplies, utility knife, duct tape, battery-powered radio, etc., sanitation and hygiene, household bleach, soap, towels, etc., clothing and bedding, a change of clothes for each family member and blankets, informant, I'm sorry, important documents, copies of your driver's license, passport and birth certificate, to name a few, and first aid supplies. Although you're a goner if a zombie bites you, you can use these supplies to treat basic cuts and lacerations that you might get during a tornado or hurricane. Yet with the Los Angeles Police Commissioner 
I'm sorry, commission, telling LAPD officers to document and report the Department of Justice's controversial potential indicators of terrorist activities, the question morphs from how will we survive the zombie apocalypse to how will we prepare an emergency preparedness kit without such suspicious behaviors, flagging us as a potentially suspicious domestic terrorist. Don't be silly by thinking you must actually break the law before cops deem you a potential threat and report you. Paying with cash comes under numerous you-might-be-a-terrorist-if lists. Whatever you do, stocking up on non-perishable food, as the Fed advises, should not include buying meals ready to eat, since that, too, is potentially suspicious and means you might be a terrorist. Suspicious activity, as military surplus stores, includes making bulk purchases of weatherproofed ammunition or match containers and meals ready to eat. Suspicious purchasing of night vision devices include night flashlights and gas masks. So what suspicious behaviors and activities should you report? Now, the DOJ, Department of Justice, and now the LAPD warn people to be on the lookout for potential indicators of terrorist activities at the following areas. Bulk fuel distributors, construction sites, dive boat shops, farm supply stores, financial institutions, general aviation airports, hobby shops, home improvement and large retail stores, hotels and motels, peroxide-based explosives, rental cars, rental properties, rental trucks, shopping malls and centers, storage facilities. At-home improvement and large retail stores lumped in with shoplifters who should be considered suspicious are people who purchase a combination of unusual items like sponges, candles, matches, bolt cutters, night vision equipment, and camouflage apparel, as well as people who buy firearms and ammunition out of season. It's a long list, but here are a few. Communities Against Terrorism Potential indicators of terrorist activity related to home improvement and large retail stores. What should I consider suspicious? Shoplifting or purchasing. Large quantities of ammunition, hydrogen peroxide, model aircraft fuel or compressed fuels. Example, propane. Unusually large quantities of fertilizers, type 34-00 or 32-20. Large quantities of water, electronic timers, or kitchen timers. A combination of unusual items. Example, sponge, candles, matches, bolt cutters. Firearms and ammunitions out of season. Night vision equipment and camouflage apparel. Pipe, particularly in short lengths. End caps and pipe nipples in the same transaction, particularly when vague about their use. The newest ridiculous lists repeat the same warnings, such as beware of people checking out infrastructure, precisely as was stated to be suspicious behavior at malls. It's not funny how photographers armed with cameras, as opposed to guns, are also alleged scary and suspicious. And whether you're stocking up for an emergency, like a plan to use a small UAV drone to scout the area for zombies, or birthday shopping for hobby enthusiasts, you can't seem to win at some stores. For example, it's considered potentially suspicious to either not know enough about a hobby or to be too inquisitive and ask too much. Be careful about these allegations, suspicious behaviors at hobby shops. Communities against terrorism. Potential indicators of terrorist activities related to hobby shops. What should I consider suspicious? 
demonstrating unusual interest in remote-controlled aircraft, demonstrating interest that does not seem genuine, inquiring about remote controls and model aircraft payload capacity and maximum range, inquiring about learning to fly expensive giant-scale aircraft without first learning to fly small-scale aircraft, possessing little knowledge of activity for which the purchase is intended, exhibiting unusual interest or specific interest in... (laughs) rocket motors or igniters, demonstrating no interest or enthusiasm for the hobby or sport, shoplifting or purchasing large quantity of model aircraft fuel, several large aircraft engines or transmissions, model rocket motor igniters without adequate knowledge, large quantity of paintball equipment and suppliers with very little information about local paintball activities, and using cash for large transactions or a credit card in someone else's name. You know, I mean, so, so the idea here. Know enough about the hobby but still be ignorant to parts of it without buying buying anything in bulk, don't ever buy a gift for anyone, and certainly don't ask questions about that gift that you're going to be buying. Because if you do, you can be suspicious, and it's not the zombie apocalypse that's going to be knocking down your door, it's the U.S. Gov. You might also not want to store your zombie apocalypse preparedness kits at storage facilities, since the following are a few... I can't even speak. Uh, a few allegedly suspicious behaviors and activities that should be reported. Using cash to pay rental fees in advance, failing to pay rent for a storage unit in a timely manner, discarding clothing or shoes in new condition, entering and leaving storage facilities at unusual times, avoiding contact with rental facility personnel. Because, you, you know, everyone loves to talk to the zombie drones that actually work at these storage facilities. So, how do you kill zombies? You for sure stand a good chance of being considered suspicious if you follow these directions and buy liquid nitrogen to kill zombies. At farm supply stores, the following are but a few potential indicators of terrorist activities. New customer who is not from local area. Acting nervously or impatient. Making suspicious inquiries regarding equipment. Example, tank size. Spray range. Failing to state legitimate use for product. FEMA. DHS and CDC all agree that you should have emergency flashlights on hand, so you could maybe bludgeon the zombie's brains out with a flashlight. Oh wait, that's a no, since you previously you might be a terrorist if list warned that buying batteries for the CDC-recommended emergency radio or flashlight, or flashlight bulbs are considered suspicious when you purchase them from an electronic store. Buying candles are suspicious at home improvement or retail shops, but so are buying weatherproof match containers. Hmm. You could use a boat to try and get away from the starved and rotting undead masses, groaning brains. Be cautious about considering that option, though, since the potential indicators of terrorist activities related to dive boat shops include renting watercraft for an extended period, uh, purchasing more than one motorized underwater propelled device, claiming to be an experienced boat diver, but... uh, exhibiting unfamiliarity with common terminology, requiring instruction on operating watercraft and or diving equipment, or during training, displaying aggressive desire to get to a specific location or the next stage of a class, appearing uninterested in safety rules or sacrificing safety to complete training faster. All the how-to-kill-a-zombie top ten lists agree. Buying a gun to shoot a zombie in the head would seem like the best line of defense. However, you can't even buy a paint gun and supplies at a hobby shop without potentially being suspicious. Way back in 2004, the Portland Mercury warned, The stupid government is always offering worthless classes. 
but they've ignored the far more likely, far more dangerous threat of zombie infestation. Although there's no clear, no longer, it's not clearly true, the article advised when you wake up one morning to find your neighbor overrun with brain-hungry swarms of rotting undead, that the best way to kill zombies are decapitation, bludgeoning, burning, and exploding. But good luck acquiring items for that arsenal without your name landing in suspicious activity report. Like this, there's a lot more posts uh, on this article. I love this. This is a playful way the CDC decided to um, encourage people to have preparedness kits. But just collecting those materials puts you on a terrorist watch list. So, um, conspiracy theorists could say, I'm going to go on a limb here, but I'm sure people are already saying it, the CDC is just trying to increase likely terrorists. Uh, the watchless, or this is just another way of the government to uh, act as big brother and spy on its people, or there's really no ever zombie apocalypse coming, and this was just a creative way to encourage people to have the future on their minds as they shop. And because you buy extra batteries for your flashlight may put you on a watch list when they look in and see that you're not actually buying, I don't know, enough of anything to blow up a building, they'll just realize you're not a terrorist and move on. Is it better to be temporarily on a watch list and ruled out as a terrorist than ignoring terrorist threats at all? And isn't that the role of these government organizations in the first place? I mean, this is just my opinion here, but... If we have a Department of Homeland Security whose job it is to catch terrorists, but then we're still going to complain when doing activities that terrorists do get you on a list of terrorists to be ruled out, well then, aren't we kind of tying their hands? Look, I don't care. Put me on a terrorist watch list. I give a damn, because you know what? I'm not a terrorist. It doesn't matter to me. I'll be I'll be looked in on and I'll be ruled out. You know why? Because I'm not planning on doing anything except for maybe being a little more prepared in case of disaster. I tell you my real concern of disaster before any zombie apocalypse, that's Yellowstone. <laughs> there is a volcano there and if that erupts, I'm dead man. So uh yeah, that's that's kind of number 1 on my concern. And an earthquake because I live on a fault line. That's kind of on my worry list. But, um, no. Not zombies, and certainly not the U.S. government. <laughs> and I think it shouldn't be on yours, either. Especially if you don't even live in this country. And then, uh, you know, do your thing, man. <laughs> Prepare for zombie apocalypse. Alright, the next article here. The Party Crasher! Find where politicians' special interests meet. And this is by Jen Christensen, CNN, updated September 8th. Charlotte, North Carolina, Keenan Steiner makes his way along Charlotte's secured streets, struggling to put on his tie and manage his monogrammed backpack at the same time. This 27-year-old is on a mission. He's looking for a party. Not just any party, he works at the Sunlight Foundation, a nonpartisan, nonprofit group that advocates for greater government transparency. His goal at the Democratic National Convention, as it was at the Republicans' confab in Tampa, to crash as many parties as he can, then blog about them. Since 2008, his organization's 
political party Time website, has been tracking exclusive behind-the-scenes events where politicians and special interests meet, often out of the spotlight. The groups hosting these events, Steiner says, hope to influence the outcome of the November elections, as well as lawmakers' votes in Congress and state capitals. By his count, there were at least 400 parties planned during the DNC and 200 during the Republican National Convention. All the big players are at the convention at once, he says, so it's sort of like being at the Washington Party circuit on steroids. Tonight, Steiner decides to stop by Planned Parenthood's political action funds, sex, politics, and cocktails party first. The organization has been under recent attack from Republicans in Congress who have repeatedly tried to shut off federal funding for the organization's family planning efforts. The Planned Parenthood Action Fund, the group's political arm and official host of the party, has spent nearly $2 million during this year's election cycle, most of it on negative ads against Republicans, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. While groups like Planned Parenthood Action Fund spend millions to elect Democrats, groups like Americans for Prosperity work to put Republicans in power. Steiner has an issue with law that regulates these type of groups, because they're not required to reveal the names of the donors who ultimately pay for those ads. There's a real transparency issue here, Steiner says. Steiner says, I'm saying Steiner says a lot, and they typed it a lot. That's weird. I, I think as, a, as like a copywriter, they would cut down on that. He tried, but failed, to get into the Americans for a Prosperity Party in Tampa. Here in Charlotte, he doesn't have a ticket, but he sees a friend outside the Planned Parenthood Party who helps. He says uh, he could usually talk his way into events. At his friend's urging, security waves Steiner and his Sunlight Foundation colleague Liz Bartolomeo, I think I said that right, through. They even let them into the velvet-lined VIP line to bypass the crowd. Inside, smartly-dressed older women sit in a line on comfortable couches, checking their emails on smartphones. A man wearing an Obama cap orders a drink called Safe Sex Champagne for its, his girlfriend. He's having the Obama-tini. I'm, I'm, like, vomiting in my mouth as I'm saying this. This is horrible. Why do you... Why do people feel necessary to come up with as they perceive clever names when they're throwing a party. These themed parties are fine, but end it when it comes to renaming established drinks, because you stop from being clever in this theme of a party and start to sound like a douchebag, especially if you're just one of the attendees who had nothing to do with the stupid thing that you chose. They're just there to get influenced, a little pocket greasing with a little scrilla, and they don't want to have to say, can I get a champagne? Oh, we don't serve that. We serve the safe sex champagne. Well, can you get me one of those? Well, what's it called? <sighs> can I just get a... Can I just get a martini? Oh, that's the Obama-tini. What about a beer? <laughs> a woman clutching one of the We Love Michelle banners that had been handed out at the convention floor earlier in the evening keeps knocking into people as she joyfully dances the electric slide. Okay. <laughs> The giveaways here are simple, and in some cases intended to provoke a laugh. Condoms inside a hot pink matchbook covers lay in low tables around the floor. The front of the package says, Protect yourself from Romney and Ryan in this election. It's an advertisement for Planned Parenthood's Women Are Watching website. The party seems like a way to drum up enthusiasm with the base, Steiner says, as he makes his way to the bar to talk with someone he knows. It's not a party where you'll rub shoulders with governors and people who aren't necessarily sowing the seeds for laws that will be written next year. 
uh, like we've seen in some of the super elite parties, but it's still important, Steiner says. He pulls out a small moleskin pad and takes notes as he talks to someone by the bar. The loud disco music suddenly fades away, and the MC tells the exciting crowd that two special guests have arrived. The floor goes wild as actress Ashley Judd stands in front of a hot pink sex politics banner with House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi at her side. The Democrats have clearly decided their work for women is a winning issue with them, and Pelosi is a rock star among the Democratic base, Steiner says. Homcon, or homocon, during the conventions. I'm not entirely sure what that's supposed to mean. Pelosi talks about the Democrats' support for women's issue along the convention themes earlier that evening, then encourages the crowd to support the president. After Pelosi wraps up her speech, she does a little dance as the 70s hit celebration plays her loudly off the stage. She poses for photos with Planned Parenthood political action fund leaders and other VIPs. People start to dance again. Andrea Gils... Giuseppe, a political science professor at Emory University, who was in Charlotte to observe the convention, says parties such as these energize the base on political issues. They're also mutually beneficial to the people who attend. Some will show up to these parties for a nice swag or good food or to show their support for political message. Sure, Giuseppe said. But it's also aimed at the fledgling county commission candidate who shows up at the convention. The fact that Pelosi is there gives them a chance to take a picture with her and then tweet it out and put it on their Facebook page. It gives them a certain type of credibility and makes them look important and they'll remember an organization that made it happen. Steiner said that there were several splashy events at the RNC, though fewer in number than the DNC. The parties were equally high profile. At Florida aquariums, scantily clad women dressed as mermaids floated in a tank as guests at the Distilled Spirits Council party ordered drinks from multiple bars. This is the type of fucking party I'm talking about! Oh, man, I would have loved to be there. Mermaids. (laughs) Okay, I'll continue. In a salute to the House and Senate Energy and Commerce Committee's attendees could shake or shag... (laughs) Could shag balls and take batting... Could shag balls? Is that really? And take batting practice at Tropicana Field for a charitable donation. A $15,000 donation got people into a private reception with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, courtesy of the Foundation for Florida's Future. It's midnight back in Charlotte before Steiner and Bartolomeo head out past streams of other party hoppers and make their way to a swank hotel near the convention center. The lobby has a different feel than the Planned Parenthood party. Well-dressed guests sit at a tiny table by the bar with a couple bottles of expensive Vieux Cliquet. Champagne, I'd probably tore that up too. Uh, Senator John Kerry stands in the corner having a hushed but animated, animated conversation with two equally tall men and more people carrying We Love Michelle signs, now somewhat crushed, make their way toward the elevator. On the hotel's second floor is Come Together, a late night celebration, honoring the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. Steiner doesn't have an invitation here either but he blends into the crowd to make his way to the fancy ballroom. The event invitations advertise the party's sponsors, Steiner says. He noticed their names on a giant screen next to the dance floor. Waste Management, Amerigroup, Maximus, and VS2 were among the hosts. Giuseppe says some people... 
you know what? I've been butchering this. It's Gillespie. <laughs> so some people may be uncomfortable with the role corporations play behind the scenes at such events, but she thinks they are necessary. Taking corporate funding for them is a double-edged sword, since you do need someone to pay for it, she says. You don't want to use public funds for a party. That type of a corporate sponsorship may suggest that they have more influence than others with politicians, and some may take issue with it, but groups don't have to the money to do this on their own and they want to attract the right people to their events. People won't show up if the party is boring. Men with lapel pins identifying them as state legislators or congressmen make their way into the party. Bartolomeo points out others wearing special pins she says are given to big Obama donors. Steiner ignores the live band playing James Brown sex machine and forgoes the red, white, and blue macaroons. Instead, he talks to people and takes notes. There's more, uh, this is more of a top flight party than Planned Parenthood's as the guest list is more exclusive and the food, drink, and space itself some of the more expensive he's seen, Steiner explained later. He speaks with the county commissioner running for Congress and her husband, a lawyer at McGuire Woods, another of the evening sponsors. The party, he says, is about building relationships with people in business and government. Craig Hogman is a political ethics expert whose nonpartisan profit, Public Citizen, has teamed up with Steiner's organization in the party monitoring enterprise at the convention. He worries these parties play an outsized... Oh, I'm sorry, um, outsized role at conventions. These conventions are supposed to be merely uh, events to rally for these candidates, Holman said. But the lobbyists and special interest groups are indulging in a real habit of these turning into conventions instead of lobby fests. Uh, Gillespie has a different perspective. The conventions are really professional conferences, she said. And, like most trade associations, networking is a big part of what you're doing here. Yes, the delegates are here to nominate their candidate, but behind the scenes you have a lot of local candidates trying to make connections, meet political fundraisers and backers. That may be more important to them than the activities you see on TV. It's hard to develop a profile for yourself and a reputation if you don't know anyone. It's past 1 a.m. when Steiner leaves the party and heads off to another. He hears the actor and hip-hop artist Common is coming to perform at a party within driving distance. He prefers not to stay out too late if possible. He's learned that a certain super PAC is hosting a brunch at an undisclosed location in the morning. It's supposed to be a mansion, but he doesn't know which one. At least, not yet. Alright, I like this article because it speaks to a couple things, and I've covered a little bit here, but... <clears throat> we have to we have to identify individually which I mean what's the greater evil here if there are evils involved politics has always been about greasing one man's palm so that he'll give you a favor when he's in power or or supporting him when he's coming into power and then he'll support you when you want to you know rip someone off <laughs> that's the political machine I mean that's how it's always been that's how it always will be so when you have these these groups that go and try to blow the lid off these parties or, or give you the inside scoop, well, it doesn't really mean anything to me. Because no matter whether they have these parties or not, the palm greasing is going to go on. Uh, I mean, that's politics. And I'm not entirely sure it would be better without it. 
I mean, we can say we would prefer to live in a world where public funding is the only ways that uh, we elect our leaders, but then you still run into the uh, electorate system, and uh, you know what? Individuals aren't necessarily directly involved in that either. And we can't go to a popular vote because that's not what our system was set up to do. So if we're going to work within the confines of the system we have, then we really have to take a realistic view of this and realize that there's going to be influence from outsiders. Now the question is whether or not you should get involved and whether or not you should be one of those outside influences. And you don't always have to do it with money, but you can. And you know what? In, in our political environment, we are, we are often discouraged, um, but you are capable of making your voice heard if you want to and there's nothing wrong with wanting to me I just like to sort of sit on the sidelines bitch and then go vote when it's time <laughs> that's that's how I'm comfortable that's how I, I like it and uh, I do that with my eyes open however <laughs> realizing that you know what big business money these have more to do with someone being elected than my individual vote but I'm okay with that for now until we get another Bush in office. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. Let's go ahead and uh, jump right into the creature feature. Oh, God. No. Just me. <laughs> Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Dorian Gray. We're going to be talking about his music, a little bit about himself, and the new album, Evolution. Now, I'm saying Evolution, is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> Dorian, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you? I'm uh, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure for me as well. I have been... Whenever I talk to uh, Satanists online, and, and I, I hate saying that because <laughs> when I say Satanist, I mean actual Satanist. So, <laughs> so whenever okay. I talk to Satanists online, uh, every once in a while your name comes up, and I... As soon as I saw that you uh, had your, your new album out and uh, I went to your website and I started uh, listening to the music, I can see why. Uh, you're, you're a very talented artist and the music, it's a lot of fun. What, what genre would you uh, put yourself in if you had to? Yeah, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned and uh, the, the many sub-genres, I, just, I have no use for them personally. I, I, rock and metal. Or what I'm into, you know. So, I, you know, it's I'd say it's heavy metal, but you know, I understand there's different degrees, and and you know, it's modern sounding, you know. But uh, um, you know, at a heart, there's a lot of there's always a, a catchy chorus, but it's always aggressive, and you know, yeah, so, no, it's, it's great. Metal. <laughs> All right, well, before we really dive into the the musicianship of uh, of the band and of you and uh, the new album, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, any anything in particular? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a loaded question. I know. I, I'm always interested in to see how people sort of approach that. 
Did, what, did you grow up around music? Were you influenced at a young age in a specific genre? I mean, what, 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 what struck that passion of music within you? Well, uh, I think I definitely come from a musical family. Um, I, I've, I've spoken on a couple other podcasts before about my background as I actually grew up in a very Christian home. And um, my my mother, like she was, a, she was a singer, and she would uh, a lot of times like pretty well known Christian singers and musicians. Mm-hmm. She actually would sing backups on their albums, like Amy Grant and you know people <laughs> like that. So uh, I mean, I actually grew up in you know an environment of a fairly musical family. So yeah, of course, obviously, I'm quite the the black sheep now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there should be some natural progression expected. So if you started up in uh, a family that that maybe had its fingers in a little bit of Christian, I guess Amy Grant's pop, I'm trying to remember oh, being a kid. Yeah, when I was a kid, I wasn't really allowed to listen to much um, secular music, too much. Uh, occasionally, you know, I'd catch something on the radio. It would appeal to me. And, uh, you know, I mean, granted, yeah, we... I grew up listening to, you know, I mean, as a really young child, you know, more of like the you know, kind of pop Christian kind of stuff like that. But, you know, every now and then there'd be like some Christian rock band that I would catch yeah. a part of. But I think what really influenced me was when um, MTV first came out. And I'm kind of aging myself there. I'm kind of no, doing that's that. great. But, but uh, you know, uh, me and my cousin sneaking uh, into uh, to see a. Uh, you know, videos of Van Halen and Rat and Motley Crue is really what, uh, you know, just that did it for me. You know, That's awesome. I think I think the best thing about it, too, was the fact that every year we went to this massive church and they always had this big video on um, this movie once a year about the, the bands that were the most satanic and evil. <laughs> and so, you know, every year I got, you know, as a little child, you know, I'm I'm watching this movie with ACDC blasting in our church and that's what really turned me on to that stuff so <laughs> yeah that's funny um, yeah and actually we might have just confused some of my listeners I don't want to be too insulting my listeners but MTV actually used to play music videos yeah. not reality TV and it was just music videos all the time and then like during certain parts of the day they would have just a genre of music like like Headbangers Ball came out a little bit la- later but yeah. It was great. Yeah, I, I remember uh, watching uh, Van Halen videos and being blown away. Uh, I, just... I think that's really what made me... Van Halen is probably one of those bands that really made me decide to be a musician. I think just how much, you know, I mean, especially like the Jump video, how much yeah. fun they just seem like they're... They're probably trash, but I mean, <laughs> as a kid, you know, I'm just like, hey, just look, they're having a blast. And then, of course... You know, you got these metal bands playing in front of audiences of screaming people and, and half-naked chicks. Well, of course, that's what I want to do then. <laughs> you know, so. yeah, sold. Please, you yeah. need to be there now. Yeah, that's great. So when when was your first... I mean, did you ever do, like, the little garage band thing, or did you sort of just dump, jump into uh, your own style of music? Well, I, I started playing in bands... Uh, in high school, like towards the end of high school. And, you know, yeah, we, we would play a, you know, a few cover songs, you know, some, you know, even some old Led Zeppelin and, you know, uh, Motley Crue and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and then, uh, you know, it was probably a little while till I really started trying to write stuff. Well, I think I always tried to write stuff, but it took a little while to, to get that out. And then over the years of got many, many bands that I've, I've played in and, and, uh, you know, 
just kind of really growing, I think, uh, to what you hear now. I think, you know, the stuff I'm putting out now, I'm just so incredibly proud of because I feel like I've really come into my own. And that's taken 20-some years to do. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're going to be playing a song here for the audience in a little bit, uh, Blood of the Lamb, off of the new album. Uh, before we get to that, can you tell us how Thorn Fetish themselves, uh, themselves, yourselves, sort of uh, came about? I, you know, I think uh, I think at the time I uh, I actually wasn't really doing anything musical. I'd had kind of a break for a while, and I, I kind of put out where I <laughs> I don't know if you I'm sure you've probably seen this, but you know a lot of, of uh, bars bars nowadays they have like these cover bands come through like dressed up like the hair bands of the '80s doing cover <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I actually I actually thought about doing something like that for fun and to you know make some money and stuff and. I think that's how I met some of the guys. So actually, oddly enough, um, the lineup that's in the band now, I'm the only original member. Oh, well. <laughs> Nobody that's in the band now was in the band at the beginning. But, uh, um, you know, that's kind of how we met was just kind of, you know, I met some guys who were like, hey, I'm kind of interested in that, but how about doing our own thing? And I was like, Man, I can do that, you know. And, you know, it's just kind of, I think, uh, you know, we have an, an older album out that um, pretty much, I wrote everything for it, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't quite the level of what we're doing now. Um, it was kind of a I guess breaking into it, and nowadays I'm a lot more I guess maybe musically inclined, focused and stuff. And it's a totally different lineup, and it's everything's definitely created differently than it was then. But at the time, it was kind of you know guys following me into the promised land. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Well, where does the name Thorn Fetish come from? I, I'd love to say it was something awesome, but it was really just kind of trial and error, <laughs> tossing out ideas. You know, like not, not not as bad as like the old, you know, let's go to the dictionary kind of thing. But I think, uh, you know, we were putting some stuff together and just trying it. I, we were almost, uh, I think we were almost called Ashes and Ravens. Oh, well. <laughs> and, uh somehow uh i think the thorn fetish logo looked cooler at the time yeah <laughs> so that one so uh, but, you know I, I think just the idea of a little bit of pleasure and a little bit of pain and uh you know kind of a kind of a way of of you know when you see that the name and hear the name thorn fetish you're not thinking well these guys are, are going to be a, a choir <laughs> you know so <laughs> hopefully it's a, good it's a gospel rock band <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> Thorn fetish. Actually, that would be the perfect name for a gospel rock band. <laughs> for like a yeah, like the the fucking crown thorns and shit. Oh, uh, that'd be go. funny. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, what, what about the other gents you mentioned? Uh, who, who's your current lineup? Well, uh, oddly enough, uh, two of the well, okay. Uh, when I when we recorded the. Uh, the first album, the house band for the Devil Strip Club, we had just acquired uh, a new guitar player, uh, Cage. He's he is still in the band. He and I, uh, you know, are kind of trying to run things basically. And the two new guys are actually the guys who were recording us before. It was their studio we were recording in, and and uh, musically, I trusted them so much, you know, and getting their opinions and stuff that it just kind of was almost natural for them to come in and it, it really changed the dynamics of, of how we write and record everything. I mean, incredibly different process this time and their skill level is just so great. So, um, you know, just bringing them in was just 
is just a natural thing. They're just amazing musicians. So that's got to say a lot about um, about you as musicians that that a recording uh, studio. <laughs> like the technicians there would see such greatness that they would be like, you know what, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being a part of that. I mean, they have to see so much come through the doors uh, for them to, you know, lock into being a part of, of just one of them. I mean, that's that's kudos, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and they, uh, you know, I mean, these guys are definitely amazing musicians, so, you know, I'm obviously more than, you know, honored to have them in the band, you know. I mean, their talent is just great, and it's just... The overall sound of everything is so different. I don't know if you got to listen to any of the older stuff, but it's our our first album was. I want to say it's it's almost it was almost cartoonish in the same in the sense that like when you think of like Rob Zombie or White Zombie, yeah, you know even though they're you know it's got that like macabre thing, but it's not something you take very serious. It's kind of more fun evil, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of how our first album I think was. Whereas um, I think this time with different musicians and a different attitude, and they really brought out something. It's just a lot more. It's a lot more aggressive, a lot more in your face, um, and uh, you know they really just kind of brought something out of that that was uh, it was really cool to see. So, well, let me ask you about uh, I guess the the construction of evolution. Was there a, a concept behind the album? And, and I guess this may speak to a, a, a bigger question of when you when you are a musician and you, you're creating music, do you create them on the individual track level, or do you think of it in terms as an album and how the listener is going to uh, audibly progress through that album? Right, right. Well, that's that's a great question. One of the things I actually really want to talk about because I know I've, I've got a lot of we've got a lot of fans out there that are going to want to hear about this. But uh, on our first album, I kind of. Uh, I kind of, I, I guess, maybe had some control issues or some trust issues or whatever. I had, I demoed everything myself, and I pretty much said, "Here's how it's going to be." And we, when we went to the studio, I was there for everything. If you're doing, if you're recording something, I need to be there, or else don't touch that record button. <laughs> and this time around was a hundred and ten percent different. Um, I, you know, lyrically, I write everything. Um, you know, and, and I think that's just kind of, it, it's usually a singer type thing. Not always, but, you know, I think it's just something for, if the singer's got to belt it out, he's got to relate to it. But as far as the music goes, you know, I demoed quite a bit of it. And the other guys had their ideas too this time. And what we did was, um, I, <laughs> I, I guess just trust, really trusting these guys and seeing what can happen. I gave them my demos and said, tell me when the music's done. And, or when it, you know, as far as the demos go, and then we, you know, we kind of rebuilt on that. But letting their skill come out and taking, you know, my demos, like a rip that I wrote, and just twisting it a little bit and putting their touch on it, and I came in and was just blown away by what they had done, and it, that got me even more amped to, you know, make the lyrics even better or tighten up my parts or you know anything. Like they were just they they got to actually pour themselves into it. So it was really such a weird transition, just the fact that for the music creating, you know, I did the skeleton, and then they actually built, my bandmates built the body, and even some of the stuff they actually wrote themselves. So, uh, matter of fact, Blood of the Lamb, uh, the music is written by our, our new guitar player, and he pretty much wrote the whole thing 
himself, Nas. Right. So, um, you know, seeing everyone stamp on things has made it feel like a real band. And, and not only, I guess, just the fact that their skill level is so high that, that they can come in and go, hey, check this out, and, you know, play an entire song for me, drums, guitars, everything, and then go, wow, that's, that's amazing, and it gets me amped to, to put my stamp on it. So, very different, but uh, I really enjoyed it, and you know, I think it, like I said, it feels a little bit more like a, it feels more like a band, and not like Dorian Gray's backup band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Dorian Gray and the Silhouettes. <laughs> and I never wanted it to be that way, you know. I just, I think I just kind of had some issues, or I kind of, you know. You know, I might have in the past, you know, maybe somebody else's ideas. I might have gone, yeah, I don't think that's quite right, you know. And, you know, I kind of made myself on purpose a little more open to hearing stuff. And and like I said, you know, the musicians, I just, something about their skill that just really appealed to me that I just said, you know what, I'm going to trust you to do this. And, of course, I'm always doing a million projects at once, so mm-hmm. it, it it definitely took a big load off my shoulders. That has to be, for me personally, one of the most challenging parts of, and please take this in the spirit of its intent, it's not meant to sound like an insult, but in my head it's starting to. Um, one of the hardest parts of growing up and becoming a man was taking criticisms and allowing other people to take the reins of something that I had a hand in or maybe I started. Um, right. Certainly, in my profession, it's it's integral. I'm a graphic designer, and you just there's no such thing as doing everything yourself. So it's it's always important to be able to trust those that you have around you. And ideally, I mean, you know, best case scenario, the reason why you have them around you is because you do trust them. So it's it's nice. It's always nice to hear growth in a musician. So you know you you don't end up as an Axl Rose, for example. Exactly. And I think you have to, you know, I think for me it was kind of important to, I guess, just to, to be able to see, you know, the skill and the talent to be able to say, okay, I trust you with it. You know, like, if, uh, you know, I, I think if these guys didn't really just kind of blow me away with what they could do on their own, it might be a different situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe, I think before it was kind of different. I think um, when I first when we first put this band together, you know, it seemed like the guys were kind of looking to me more to, you know, what are we going to do? So, okay, fine, let me do it. You know, and, and, uh, I guess maybe I didn't, I don't want this to sound bad because, you know, I, I'm still friends with the, with the guys who were in the band formerly, but I think just on that musical level, you know, maybe I just didn't have as much respect as, you know, um, our new, our drummer, he's the guy who does all of our producing. And, um, he is is just phenomenal in, in every way. He can sing, he can play guitar, bass, keyboards, you know, any instrument you can think of, he can play it. And, you know, his musical talent and knowledge is so good, and he's so good at hearing, you know, I know in, in, in past projects when I go, hey, does that sound right to you? And he just go, no, that's it's off key, you know, or whatever, like, just like that, you know, and that's enough for me to, to start to trust him. And so when I when I trust somebody in their skill level, then it's easier for me to say, I'll take your criticism versus somebody who, you know, if you can't play an instrument, don't tell me, <laughs> you know, if it's good, or not, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let the audience hear Blood of the Lamb. Uh, this is off of uh, Thorn Fetish's new album, Evolution. 
And on the other side, we'll talk a little bit more about this, and then we're going to dive into a little bit of a shared passion here. Uh, see you there.
All right, so that was Blood of the Lamb, kick-ass track. Um, would you like to see Thorn Fetish develop in any other direction than it is now? Well, I, I, I guess, uh, again, with the, with, the, with the lineup that we have, I, I kind of feel like, especially with what we've done so far, I kind of feel like we could almost do anything. And um, actually, uh, a couple years ago, uh, even though you wouldn't usually expect this from us, um, we did, uh, this is with the original lineup, we did a, uh, an acoustic show. And rather than, even though, you know, we stripped down to acoustic instruments, but we also brought on a bunch more musicians. We brought in extra guitars and pianos, and including the two guys who are in the band now. And we did a full show. All of our heaviest songs we turned into a different tempo and did this beautiful acoustic stuff. And it just kind of shows me that anything we want to do, we can do. So, you know, any good artist or musician of any kind should always want to keep growing, keep developing, never be satisfied, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I, I think anybody can, I think anybody could listen to their own music. Any, any artist can draw a picture and, and eventually you, you go back at it and go, you know what, nah, this could be better, you know? So, no, even if, you know, the fans may love it, you know, but you know, you're always going to hear that one thing that you could have changed that, made that a little better, or that one line in the drawing is just a little off. Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. The new album is out now, but you have uh, a special that's going on right now. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, the uh, the physical CD uh, doesn't come out till uh, the fifteenth, uh, which is our first um, show back. So um, until then, it's it's on the website right now. Um, it's fifteen tracks, and it's of course six dollars and sixty six cents. No, so, I mean it's less than fifty cents a track, um, you know, for those two weeks. You know, once it comes out, it'll probably be ten bucks or whatever. But you know, just kind of doing a little little evil sale there <laughs> for evil. Hey, it's it's great. Uh, I picked it up, and I, I highly recommend it if you like metal or if you like hard rock or whatever you want to, whatever label you want to yeah. tack on to it. <laughs> either of those will work if you like either of those. Uh, you know, definitely. Yeah, and certainly check it out. So what's the website that they can go to? Uh, thornfetish.com. All right, very simple. Good. Okay, so thornfetish.com. Check out Evolution, uh, Dorian Gray. Awesome. I wanted to ask you a little bit more before we wrap this bad boy up. So obviously this is a satanic podcast. Uh, I'm a Satanist. You're a Satanist. Dorian Gray, the picture of Dorian Gray from Oscar Wilde. Um, in my opinion, a very, very satanic novel. How do you associate that with yourself? Um, I think, <laughs> I think one of the reasons that I really grasp that oddly enough is is for the <laughs> it, it's the main reason I first was attracted to it was because I I constantly hear you look a lot younger than you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, which of course that always, uh, you know, makes me happy, yeah. you know? So, and I, you know, I mean, uh, who, uh, who wouldn't want the chance to, uh, you know, live the lifestyle, whatever lifestyle you want without consequences and it going to, you know, <laughs> a painting in the attic, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, and I mean, uh, you know, I think, uh, at first in, uh, in the, Oscar Wilde's novel, of course, you know, there was kind of a, kind of an innocence to him that, you know, to Dorian Gray that, uh, 
you know, kind of got ruined as he went along. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that uh, certainly is a reflection of my life. So <laughs> nice. Uh, now, I mean, you're tacking the, the tag of innocence to your Christian upbringing. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, uh, well, yeah, I think there's there's an innocence to that sometimes, and sometimes there's an ignorance to that. Um, right. You know, I, I, I think that's kind of why in a lot of my music you'll hear, you know, kind of an anger uh, against Christianity. And more than anything, I think a lot of times I'm angry with myself for um, for believing what I did for so long. I think for I think for just just really like really buying into that because you know at this point in my life I look back and would go are you kidding I I really believed this you know yeah. <laughs> and in water walking zombie Jews I believed in this <laughs> you know <laughs> I've, I've heard it segmented before but never wrapped up like that before that's funny <laughs> um, well okay let me ask you when did you when were you first exposed to Satanism how how did that happen probably uh, eight, eight years ago or so I uh, um, I went through a divorce and I uh, basically you know moved into a place by myself and just had a lot of time to to actually think and to read and to go hey you know uh, those things like this this book that you know I've always heard was terrifying and scary and all about human sacrifice and raising demons from <laughs> I'm going to read this just for a good scare, you know? And, uh, you know, when I, uh, oddly enough, even when I was considered a Christian, you know, I was very sarcastic in, in, once I got to my adult age and, um, and, and very cynical, even as a Christian. And so, um, you know, reading Anton LaVey's words, like so much of it was like, well, that sounds like me, <laughs> You know, and I, I think before I actually read that, I actually took the time to say, you know, in my job, you meet so many different people on a daily basis, and they all believe something different, you know, and so it's like, well, why, why is one true and one's false? And I think I just decided to kind of step away from any kind of belief system so I could look at it all objectively. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and once you empty yourself and take those blinders off, um, and see that the field is wide open. Um, Anton LaVey's words is just like, oh, you know, it's 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 just common sense. <laughs> That's all the the whole book was about was just common sense, and uh, you know, it kind of I guess maybe freed me because of, because of always being a, a more cynical person. It almost made me feel free to really be myself, in the sense that you know, uh, this whole. Uh, love everyone and your neighbor and <laughs> I, I I don't feel that way I don't love most people um, <laughs> yeah. I can only think of a couple you know I and you know the same goes for hate you know I mean love and hate are both strong words I uh I only hate a couple I only love a couple and, and the rest I'm pretty much indifferent about other than so, you know other than those that I like <laughs> right, right. so you know I think just being able to free myself to go this is who I really am, and I'm not going to try and fit into this stupid mold anymore based on, you know, these Bronze Age ideas, you know, that don't make sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, I mean, it's tough because if you, if, if anyone looks at the, the history, I, I'm not entirely sure it ever made sense. No, um, no. So, I mean, beyond that, 
it, for me, there was this liberating uh, mm-hmm. sensation. I mean, I was just a kid, so it. I mean, it, I don't know. I I didn't really. I, I never really had a, a sense of of who I was until I really read um, the book, and so it was nice in this sort of liberating way to say, you know what, this is what I am. I can, I finally feel like I have something that I can sort of hold on to. Um, for you, maybe, maybe people think that because of your profession, it would be easier to um, declare yourself like that if, if you have openly or not. But I don't necessarily think it is. I, I, I still think that there's this element of of power that comes with recognizing who you are. Right, right. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's just like this precious gem. You're just like, fuck you. I don't want you to know. Like, this yeah. is this is a true part of myself, and you don't deserve to know. Well, and, you know, I think, obviously, for myself, you know, there, there's, an, there's an obvious uh, duality towards others. Obviously, Dorian Gray is not the name I was born with. Um, and yet, um, it's really not a secret if you, um, you know... If you listen to my lyrics, if you, you know, there's, there's stuff out there about me. There's other podcasts, you know, that aren't even Satanist podcasts. There's just, you know, plain podcasts out there that people, if they really wanted to know, it'd be easy for them to find out that I'm a Satanist. Hmm. Um, so it's not, it's, it's only hidden to those who really don't want to make an effort and find out, you know, now in my, in my everyday work, you know, like I said, I, I'm a, I'm a tattoo artist, uh, seven, 17 years. And uh, tattooing is a very, it's very popular nowadays. Um, <laughs> and and on a regular basis, I tattoo fucking Bible verses on people. And uh, you know what? I mean, it's not my business what they believe in. I give a shit. So you know, I I put my myself into the arts. And uh, once they leave, you know, I I don't care. You know, I make sure that it looks good. Just like you know, if I was doing now, you know. Uh, I, I think I posted a few pictures out there on Facebook, but you might have seen, like, I've done, like, a, uh, a portrait of uh, Anton LaVey that just came out beautiful. And, of course, you know, I, I'm putting a little more heart into that, you know. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, you know, overall, like, I don't really hate um, people for being Christians, you know, if I come across them. I just don't care, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much indifferent and just, you know, whatever, you know. So... As far as a business sense, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go, oh, yeah, well, I'm a Satanist, you know. So occasionally I have a conversation with somebody and I go, yeah, you know, this is a person who can handle this, mm-hmm. you know, an intelligent, you know, free-thinking person versus, you know, on a regular basis, most of my customers, there's no need. No need. It's not going to help me make any more money, and that's all I care about with, with that side of the business, you know, is to make a living. So just in the same sense that I wouldn't say, you know, no, I'm not going to do your Christian tattoo. You know, I, what do I care? It's your body, not mine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I-, I actually just had a conversation about this last week about, um, and it was a, a pretty bulk uh, portion of the show, about how, at, at what point do you relinquish responsibility for, and in that context we were talking about, your money. So if you invest in something and the investors uh, squander it or, you know, fund, uh, for example, um, uh, gun runners in third world countries, you know, at what point do you relinquish the responsibility of your earnings? Mm-hmm. 
and, and at what level should you ever care what other people do once once the once the money leaves your hands, as long as it comes back in the way that you expect it to come back, why does it matter? And right. it's just projecting your own ethics or your own morals onto other people, and that's something as a Satanist that I cannot abide. Like, no. I, I I certainly don't expect, and I don't I I absolutely reject the idea that some, like a Christian, for example, would impose themselves on me. So why would I go out of my way to do the same thing? Um, and especially, as you already said, as a businessman, it makes no sense to shrink your market share by um, objecting to something. And, and that's the other thing is, you, you know, like you said, you focus on the art. That's yeah. what you're doing. You're, you're not inscri- you're instilling power into the message and exactly. reinforcing the words <laughs> as if there was power there to begin with. So it's, you know, it, it's not like you're adding that to it. Uh, you're just adding uh, creative aesthetic, and that's um, right. That's professionalism. Yeah, I, uh, I certainly, you know, while you know, musically, in in the band, I have my things to say, and you know, I've done other uh, projects. Uh, um, Warlock uh, Draconis Blackthorn, uh, his uh, his magazine has posted, uh, he's had uh, you know, some articles written by me, and of course we did a, a, a musical CD together of a classical music and stuff like that but I have my areas where I'll say the things that I want to say but you know I have no desire to be evangelical and especially when you know some of the Christian people you meet are just the biggest assholes why why would I want them on our side (laughs) (laughs) exactly I truly appreciate your time. You've uh, you, you've sat with me here for a while and been very candid, so I truly do appreciate it. Uh, audience out there, check out Evolution. Go to thornfetish.com, pick up the album, and if you want to save a little Skrilla and uh, you know have a nice little uh, statement of 666, <laughs> pick it up in the next week and a half, or I guess in the next week as this hits the uh, airwaves here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dorian, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hail Satan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also now on Last FM. You can subscribe via 9 cents <laughs> to 9 cents via iTunes or search 9 cents. And uh, don't forget to leave a rating or comment if you do. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, hail Satan! <laughs>